Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michelle Gums. Dr. Gums is an associate professor at the University of Florida. Her research focuses on the kidney circadian clock and its relationship to cardiovascular health. And I am thrilled to have her on the show to discuss one of my favorite topics, circadian biology. Whether you know it or not, your circadian clock regulates your level of alertness and energy during the day and your ability to fall asleep at night. And when your circadian clock is not synchronized, your health and performance suffers. Dr. Gums is one of the leading authorities on the subject, and I'm excited to have her on the show for two episodes. In this episode, Dr. Gums provides us with a high-level overview of circadian biology. She details how many chronic health problems facing our society are related to our constant state of circadian disruption. She also discusses social jet lag, why we should keep our children on a consistent sleep routine, and the merits of switching to standard time. This is a phenomenal show with a lot of actionable information. So now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Michelle, thank you so much for joining The Blueprint today. I'm very excited about this topic of conversation because it's something I've studied for a long time and you're one of the leading experts. I would love for you to kind of give our listeners an overview of circadian biology and why this is so important for daily living. Absolutely. And thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. This is one of my favorite topics. So please stop me if I if I go too long on this. So one of my favorite things to share about the circadian clock and circadian biology is that it's so relatable. This is something that everyone can relate to. We may know people or ourselves who are night owls or early birds, and those types of chronotypes, as they're called, really are related to our circadian clock. And so to go way back, um, one of the ways I like to introduce this topic is to discuss the fact that, you know, we live on a planet with 24-hour cycles of alternating light and dark. And so it's thought um, on an evolutionary kind of scale that the circadian clock mechanism evolved to give organisms a selective advantage to thinking about things like predator-prey relationships, trying to find food, things like that, where having a difference between your night-day behavior patterns, your sleep-wake patterns would provide a kind of survival advantage. So that is some of the like way back history on that topic. One of the things that, again, I think makes it really relatable is that in in modern times, <laughs> even though we live on a planet with 24 hour periods of alternating light and dark, we live in a, you know, in a 24 seven world. You know, if you think about these epidemics we're confronted with in terms of cardiovascular disease and obesity and diabetes, these are very likely to be related related to this constant state of circadian disruption that that so many of us live in. This is something we think about quite a bit in the lab because we study preclinical animal models and those animals are kept in our animal facility on a 12-12 light dark cycle. So they're nocturnal animals 
they're awake when the lights are off and sleeping, resting when the lights are on. And I just had this conversation with a colleague of mine the other day. He said, you know, what human do you know that has a 12, 12 um, schedule of, you know, 12 hours of, of being active and 12 hours of, of resting? And that's that's certainly something to think about because, you know, for so many of us, maybe we don't get even eight hours of sleep a night, right. you know, let alone 12 hours of rest. And so this this sort of ancient mechanism of, of circadian clocks that are actually present in, in every one of our just about every one of our cell types. In a way, in modern times, it almost works against us, um, mm -hmm. you know, because we live in this 24-7 society and there are people who, you know, for hospitals and transportation, people that work shift work that have to, you know, work graveyard shift. And one of the things that I think highlights um, why circadian rhythms are so important is that we know from really decades of epidemiological evidence that that losing our circadian rhythms, whether that manifests itself in a kind of disrupted sleep or not enough sleep or just not enough of a difference between your day and your night activities, that that type of circadian disruption is associated with increased risk for cancer, for heart disease, for kidney disease. The evidence is, is pretty clear. And, and of course, it's not everybody who has to do a shift work job ends up with some, you know, terrible affliction like that, but it, it certainly increases the risk and contributes to what is, you know, very likely like a, a genetic and environmental interaction that, that leads to some of these disease states. Michelle, let me ask you, there's a lot of popular science right now. And um, Andrew Huberman, he's a, he's got a lab at Stanford has kind of brought this to, <laughs> I'm going to use the word light, but brought to light the fact <laughs> that, you know, circadian disruption is very harmful for how we feel it's going to affect our energy there's like you know when when we don't view sunlight in the morning when we don't view enough light or actually when we do view light it sets up this hormonal cascade of events with with cortisol with melatonin with body temperature changes if somebody wants to make sure that they are in training their clock the most effectively what are some habits or tips that you would recommend to make sure that to the best of our ability that we're keeping our body in the rhythm that it needs to be in. That's a really great point. I can speak to that a little bit from personal experience. So mm -hmm. I started working on this particular circadian clock protein that, you know, we could get into those, those details later back in 2007. And at the time, my two children were very young. You know, I wasn't getting enough sleep, had a fairly erratic schedule, sometimes could only, you know, get those grants written and things like that late at night. But as I got more into the field of circadian biology, it started to become very apparent to me that keeping a regular schedule to do, as you just said, to entrain your clock, your internal clock was going to help, you know, help me feel better. And that is something that I, I still practice practice all these years later that I keep the same schedule Monday through Friday pretty much as I do on the weekend, you know, waking up about the same time every day, eating breakfast, lunch, dinner at the same time every day and going to bed at the same time every day. 
And for me, that really helps me feel my best, you know, in terms of energy levels and and health wise. You know, some people are more sensitive to circadian disruption than others. Um, this is a, you know, sort of an interesting side topic. I'm always really curious for people who've done something like 23andMe. If they tell me they have like a strange chronotype, I'm like, let's go look at your clock gene sequence and and see what's going on there. Um, but I, I have noticed this for myself, that if I go off of my normal schedule, you know, it really affects the way that I feel. And and there is a concept for this that's called social jet lag. And wow. there is, I think that term was coined by Till Ronenberg. He's he's in Germany. Uh, and it's it's this idea that, you know, if we're if we're stuck to, you know, the schedule for work Monday through Friday, but then Friday and Saturday night, we stay up much later. Saturday and Sunday, we sleep much later. You know, if you if you stay up three or four hours later on a Friday or a Saturday night than you usually do, you have effectively given yourself jet lag. You know, it's mm-hmm. as if you've traveled across a couple of time zones. And so this topic of social jet lag has been linked in several studies to, you know, increased daytime sleepiness and poorer overall health. You know this the, is how yeah. much that can shift. I mean, it's like if I normally go to bed at 10 during the week and wake up at six, if I go 10, 30, 6, 30, is that going to be okay? Like what's, I don't know if there's a, an acceptable bandwidth. Has anybody studied that? Yeah, that's a great question. No, I don't think I can quote anything that looks at at the really fine resolution like that. But I know from the work that we do in the lab and the way we control our time points that we tend to think if we stay within this window of plus or minus one hour that that we still keep the data very tight. And I think that that's true for the kind of schedule that I keep. So let's say you're aiming for, you know, 1030 to 630. If you end up with 930 to 530 one day or 11 to 7 one day, like I think there's, you know, definitely some wiggle room in there. And I think, you know, it really varies on a personal level. A graduate student who was in my lab several years ago, Kristen Solosinski and I, we did this outreach project with the middle school. And we had put together this modified questionnaire to to query these sixth graders on whether or not they had social jet lag. And we modeled this after some of the work that Till Ronenberg had done. And we did find some evidence that these middle schoolers were, were suffering from social jet lag, like they rated their sleepiness to be worse on a Monday than it is on a Thursday, for example. So parents and, should be paying attention to this. Yeah. And this is something that it's really well, it's a hot it's a hot topic in, in many areas because of school start times and the issue with daylight savings versus standard time mm. as well. So it, it can be a so you know, very you tricky issue on the daylight savings change. Do we need to keep it fixed? And if we need to keep it fixed, do you want brighter mornings? Or brighter evenings. Brighter mornings are so Amen. much better for us. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's standard time all the way. I mean, every circadian scientist and sleep medicine specialist that I know is in favor of keeping standard time. And there's, there's a movement called Save Standard Time that is very active on social media um, channels and very active in terms of, um, you know, lobbying some of our congressional representatives 
conservatives to take their well-meaning legislation about getting rid of the time change and, and really sticking to standard time. And it goes back to something you alluded to just a moment ago about entraining our clocks. Really, the best way to entrain our internal clock is that early morning light. And so that is a big part of why standard time is so much healthier for us, because getting more light earlier in the day is just associated with sort of stronger circadian rhythms, if you if you want to think about it that way. Michelle, I don't know if you saw the paper. This came out in 2021 in JAMA Psychiatry. It was done by the folks at the Broad Institute in University of Colorado. And the title of the paper was Genetically Proxied Diurnal Preference Sleep Timing and Risk of Major Depressive Disorder. Oh, wow. Did you see this? I'm not familiar with that particular paper, it's but like, in the psychiatry field in general, I, I've noticed that there is quite a bit of literature linking particular polymorphisms in these circadian yes. clock genes to, you know, a number of different psychiatric issues. So that it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it was a study done with like, oh, geez. I think it was over 600,000, almost 700,000 people in the UK biobank. And they looked at 23 oh, yeah. data and they use actigraphy data. It was a pretty robust study. And they found that people that shifted the midpoint of sleep back one hour had a 23% reduction in major depression, symptoms wow. of major depression. Just one hour. And if they shifted it back another hour, it almost went to 40%. And they trace the whole thing back to one thing, light viewing behavior early in the morning. Yeah. There's so much that we're starting to uncover now. It was also interesting too. I'm pulling this one off the top of my head, but I believe they said the percentage of people that have the evening chronotype was less than 15%. And so I think we've almost shifted because of social media and uh, some people call it sleep procrastination. Mm -hmm. We're now like we're artificially shifting ourselves into these later timeframes. We feel more alert. But the reason we're alert is because we're emotionally stimulated rather than settling down, calming. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this whole idea of artificial light at night, this is a whole area of, of the literature on how detrimental it is. And, you know, looking at our tablets, our computers, our smartphones late at night when we should be sleeping is is linked to adverse health outcomes. And so, so what are that your thoughts on blue light blockers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I have seen, you know, some interesting data here and there. So I gave a little presentation about circadian biology to a women's group that I'm involved with on our, our campus here. And there were a couple of um, physicians there who had, you know, mentioned that they didn't believe any of this stuff about the blue light blockers. And I honestly don't know that literature well enough, but I, I've seen, you know, here and here and there, you know, my focus in my laboratory is on the kidney and cardiovascular function and blood pressure. And so typically when I see studies like this, it's related to did this circadian intervention lower blood pressure? And so there is one study out there and I I don't recall the author on it. They did do some blue light interventions and they did see a reduction in blood pressure. Hmm. And so this is an interesting concept and one that I do 
try to get my clinical colleagues interested in because some of these circadian interventions, whether it's manipulation of the light cycle or controlling the time of day that you have your meals, these are like pretty low cost interventions, but they you know, they have, I think, tremendous potential because our circadian rhythms are so strong. I always, one of my favorite things to say is if if you take care of your circadian rhythms, your circadian rhythms will take care of you. <laughs> and And it's really just about keeping that schedule, keeping it consistent, not giving yourself social jet lag, getting enough sleep, getting, you know, light early in the morning that I think overall, it just helps people feel better. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed this show, please leave us a comment and review on whichever listening platform you are joining us from. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.